So I'll begin tonight with the words of Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a very well-known Vietnamese and meditation teacher. And he says, without love, life is impossible. We have to learn the art of loving. We need to support each other to build communities where love is tangible, where love is tangible. The well-being of the world depends on the way we live our daily lives, on the way we take care of our world, and on the way we love. I like the language of making it tangible, you know, visceral, alive. So in the Buddhist teachings, uh, we have the Brahma-viharas. Many of you might be familiar with the term. It means the divine abodes. And it really speaks of when we come home to the fullness of what we are, we come home to these divine abodes. And they are loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. So the first three are really the qualities of the heart. We come home to them. And equanimity is wisdom. It's the wisdom that sees things as they are without moving away, without controlling, without resisting. And the power of these divine abodes is that you can't separate out the heart qualities from wisdom. That if our heart is really awake, if our heart's really awake, that goes hand in hand with this wisdom that allows life to be just as it is. We don't have a loving heart but go around controlling things because we think they need to be different. That's conditional loving. So in our culture, the word love is totally... Uh, it's loaded, it's confused, it's encumbered. And yet, we need it. It's still, it's still got power. And so, my sense is that we need to investigate what we mean. So that, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, that we can really learn the art of loving. Which is the theme of tonight's Dharma talk, learning the art of loving. So we need to investigate. And um, really that question, what is love? to let go of our ideas and investigate in a very direct way, like not concepts, not ideas. What does it really mean? When we say, oh, I love, da-da-da-da, what is love? What is it? I know for myself that um, it's become more of a, a profound and essential practice to keep that inquiry going, uh, that there's no way to live a spiritual life and not have it become very much real and alive in here as a mother, as a daughter, a sister, a friend. Um, so I've been really reflecting and more recently, um, as some of you know, I, um, I am engaged to be married. I'm getting married very soon to my partner Jonathan, so that's a very immediate inquiry. What does it really mean to love? You know? So let me ask you to reflect for a moment before I go on with some other words on this. Just take a moment, and as many of you that are here know, just allow yourself to uh, close your eyes and just breathe and feel yourself here again, just as we've been doing.
listening to and feeling the moment. And maybe as a way to launch the reflection, consider someone you love. Just bring to mind someone you love. And sense, as you do, just pick someone. What it is you're loving, what do you love about them? Is it the way they show love to you? Is it their humor or their sparkiness or their vulnerability that they're honest? Or what is it that brings up the loving? To see their eyes when they're happy, when they're exuding aliveness or love. In a sense, yourself just dropping into the quality of loving itself. Beyond any idea, what is this? What is the experience of loving? If ideas and words come, just bow to it and then inquire even more deeply. So what is it really? What is this, this loving? Okay, opening your eyes when you'd like. It's pretty much a mystery, and you can use words and point to the mystery, the beauty, the aliveness. There's a mystery, and yet it's so essential to who we are and to what matters. Perhaps the most powerful way to consider love is that as far as I can tell, there's no way to experience love viscerally, having love be tangible, unless there's a full quality of presence. Does that make sense? You can have ideas about love, you can have plans about love in the future, what might happen in the future with someone, you might have memories of things, but the actual experience of loving requires presence, awakeness here in our bodies, in our hearts, awake. So as we reflect on the art of loving, what we're really doing is reflecting on how we can cultivate the kind of presence in a relational way that wakes us up to unconditional love, that wakes us up to what the scriptures describe as the sure heart's release the sure heart's release. I love that expression because the sure heart's release, like released from any armor, any distortion, anything 
that prevents us from really loving fully, from being all that we are, the sure heart's release. It's the culmination of the path that as we wake up, this waking up is expressed in the sure heart's release. Okay, so a story. This is... um, Some of you might remember this is a story I heard about an African tribe, and in this tribe, in particular tribe, I forget the name right now, the birth date of a child is counted not from when they're born, by our standards, and it's counted not from when they're conceived, as some other cultures do, but it's the birth date of this tribe is counted from the day the child was a thought in the mother's mind. That's the day from which the child was truly conceived because everything we do comes out of mind. And when the woman decides she's going to have a child and that fills her, then she goes off and sits under a tree by herself and she listens and she listens until she hears the song of the child that wants to come. And after she's heard that song, she comes back to the man who will be the child's father and teaches it to him. And then when they make love to physically conceive the child, some of the time they sing the song to the child, a kind of way to invite it. And then the mother teaches a song to the midwives and the old women of the village so that when the child arrives, the old women are around her, the midwives, and they sing the song to the child to welcome it. And then as the child grows up, the other villagers are taught the child's song. And if it falls down, hurts its knee, someone picks it up and sings its song to it. Or if it does some great thing like the rites of puberty as a way of honoring that person, they sing his or her song. And it goes that way through life. Through marriage, the songs are sung together. And finally, even when this child is ready to die, all the villagers know his or her song. And so when they're lying there, ready to die, they sing for the last time the song to that person. So when I first heard this story, I was really moved. I was really touched by it. There's this this kind of sense of a longing for that level of harmony in life where we honor birth and death. And there's that kind of connectedness with body and heart and spirit, but mostly this kind of listening to each other. We're listening to the song or where we're really that quality of presence where what we listen to is beyond the personality. We're sensing that soulfulness that comes through. It's presence. So in in much of the time that we say we love somebody, rather than um, an awakened kind of love where we're listening to the song of that being, we're really listening to who's here. Rather than that, um, there's usually an agenda. And this is because we're kind of caught in a self that feels something's missing or something's wrong. And basically, there's some controlling. So instead of listening to another, that kind of presence that really is the very um, kind of atmosphere of love, there's controlling. We're in some way uh, doing what we call selfing, where we're either trying to get something or trying to impress or trying to prove something or trying to protect. And it's really interesting to investigate in any moment that we're with another person. Is there that undefended listening presence? Or is there in some way a sense of self that's trying to 
either be approved or accepted or hold a certain distance, but in some way manipulate something. So this selfing, this, we have a perception of a self that's here in a world out there. We want to connect, but that perception of separateness creates a kind of fear, so we're afraid of each other. You know, if we're honest, we'll notice that there's some... It might not be out-and-out terror, but there's some tension about other. And rather than that undefended presence, we're armed. We have some armor that tries to... We want others to think a certain thing, so we're trying to control how they experience us. So in Buddhist language, the, what obscures the purity of our love is this attachment. We want things to be a certain way, we're trying to control things, or aversion we're trying to control by pushing away. That's what gets in the way. And it's the basic function of the separate self. And the way we know it, if you really look, is there's some protecting going on. Some protecting. So the beginning of living uh, this visceral love is to notice our particular ways of arming ourselves. And we all have our own strategies. We usually have a constellation of strategies of how we create distance. And that's the beginning. And I'll name a few of the ways just so you can kind of sense where you live in that. And the big one for most of us, the way we try to protect the self, we're trying to get the connection, but we're trying to protect, is through judging. We are very addicted to judging another and judging whether or not they're cooperating with our agenda. And basically the message is you need to be a certain way for me to feel okay and feel loved and um, when not, you're bad in some way. You're wrong. And we lock in. We get ideas about a person, a judgment, and it locks in. And it can lock in and end up creating separation for years and decades and decades short story. One Sunday morning, everyone in one bright, beautiful, tiny town got up early and went to the local church. Before the services started, the townspeople were sitting in their pews and talking about their lives, their families, and so on. Suddenly, Satan appeared at the front of the church. Everyone started screaming and running for the front entrance, trampling each other in a frantic effort to get away from evil incarnate. Soon everyone was evacuated from the church except one elderly gentleman who sat calmly in his pew, not moving, seemingly oblivious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy was in his presence. Now this confused Satan a bit, so he walked up to the man and said, Don't you know who I am? The man replied, Yep, sure do. Satan asked, Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, sure ain't, said the man. Satan was a little perturbed at this, and he queried, Why aren't you afraid of me? The man calmly replied, been married to your sister for over 48 years. <laughs> so we lock in to good, bad, right, wrong. One of the main mechanisms, and we get very static. We get very static in our ideas. Once somebody has violated our sense of what's okay, or once we've been injured, and sometimes really injured, what happens is that we read things a certain way. 
and we interpret behaviors because we're primed to. In order to make the world safe for us, we have to keep on being careful to make sure the same thing doesn't happen again. So we're steeled against it and we have a flinch response to say, oh, you're doing that to me, this means such and such. We interpret, we read things. And we do it so we can get oriented, so we can know where we are. Um, we proliferate in our minds, especially when we're feeling emotional about what's happening. Uh, somebody sent me this some months ago, and it's a woman's diary. Um, and I ask in advance for you to forgive me for this. It's a little, little torqued, but it gives you the sense of things. Her diary. Tonight I thought he was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a bar to have a drink. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact I was a bit late, but he made no comment. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but kept quiet and absent. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said it had nothing to do with me and not to worry. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He simply smiled and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say, I love you back. When we got home, I felt as if I had lost him, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there and watched TV. He seemed distant and absent. Finally, I decided to go to bed. About 10 minutes later, he came into bed, and to my surprise, he responded to my caress and we made love. I still felt that he was distracted, but I gave him my all. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. His diary. <laughs> I shot the worst round of golf in my life today. I shot the worst round of golf in my life today, but at least I got laid. We have these worlds going on in our minds, these worlds. Now, sometimes we're interpreting things in a way that are reasonably accurate and useful. We, we, have, a reason, we have a lot of thinking for a good purpose. I mean, we have to do a certain amount of planning and anticipating and so on. But have you ever considered the degree of suffering that we create for ourselves? by looping over and over again on our interpretations that really land up having us feel bad about ourselves? A lot. So I'm talking about strategies we do to keep separation. And one of the strategies is judging others. Another is interpreting, using our, our thinking to interpret what's really true or what's not true. We do a lot of pretending to keep a distance. You know, we pretend everything's okay, or we pretend we're oppressed by something, or we pretend we're a victim, or we just make an impression with our pretense. And in some way, we act the way we think others uh, want us to. We try to do it according to what we think meets certain social criteria. In one story, a wife invited some people to dinner. At the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter, would you like to say the blessing? Oh, I wouldn't know what to say, said the little girl. The response was, well, just say what you hear mommy say. <laughs> the daughter bowed her head. Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? 
You know, there's a saying that dying begins at birth and it speeds up at dinner parties, you know. <laughs> Again, I'm bringing this, I'm, being, I'm bringing up the playful side because we all just, you know, we're all doing it. We're all kind of caught in um, operating a bit out of these shoulds, like how we think we should be to be okay. But the truth is it separates us from a real sense of um, a real spontaneity. And in the deepest way, from that, uh, that love that Thich Nhat Hanh talked about, that kind of much more visceral loving. Because we're not feeling real. We're not feeling real. Our strategies. For some of us it's holding on. It's what I call the pursuer, the one that's grasping, the one that has expectations, the one that's saying, I need more, please don't leave, give me more, or saying to our child, pay more attention to me, do this, do it my way. The pursuer, the controller. And then others, the strategy is the preoccupied, numb, distant, don't bother me, don't suffocate me, don't, get a, don't take my space. These are all ways that in some way out of that core sense of selfing, that core sense of um, I am a self, this is the story that has something missing or something wrong, rather than just presence, rather than listening to the song within ourselves or another, we're controlling, we're protecting, we're trying to prove or defend. You might reflect for a moment on a relationship where loving is important to you, um, but where there might be more distance than you wish. You might take a moment for just to, to sense into that right now. Just so we can ground this uh, exploration this evening and what's real for you, sense where there's a relationship that matters, that you want there to be closeness, but there's some separation. And just for a moment, just in an honest way, see if you can recognize your part in creating distance. Is it locking into a kind of blame or a judgment? Are you interpreting? Are you presenting a persona but not really being real in what's true for you? Are there, is there a lot of holding on, demands, expectations? Are avoiding? Are you in some way keeping preoccupied, not really being present? just to know that we all armor our hearts out of a basic sense of vulnerability. And see if you can hold whatever you notice gently, just in a very kind way. Know that the first 
step to loving more freely is just this honest, gentle recognizing. Okay, so distancing. There's no power to wake up until we just notice how are we distancing. To notice it and to sense what is it you wish? What's the longing that you wish in terms of this relationship? If you were at your end of your life looking back, what would matter about this relationship? Thich Nhat Hanh teaches this mantra of two people together recognizing their impermanence and they bow and then they, hugging each other, say, I'm going to die, each one reflects on this and you're going to die and we have just these moments, these precious moments. If you could step out of this illusion of timelessness and just sense okay, this, this particular life is impermanent, this person's going to die, you're going to die. What really matters? The beginning of waking up is recognizing how we create a distance and really recognizing that our longing is to wake up from that separate selfness, to connect, to belong to each other. This is the way Rilke puts it when he advises us on, on loving. He says, and he's, he has God speaking these words, he says, you, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Go to the limits of your longing, embody me flare up like flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. So, opening your eyes. I love this verse because what really, the longing for loving, the longing to really connect is what carries us home. And the way it carries us home is when we have this courage to be present. And the remainder of tonight will be, okay, so how do we do that? How do we let everything happen? Because when we're trying to love, everything happens. All the fear and all the longing and all the wanting and the attachment and defending, it all comes up. And the closer we are to somebody, the more it comes up. And so we're stuck with this situation that the places we really want to love well in are the very places we have all the reactivity 
And the only way we can love well is to stay present in the face of that reactivity. Does that make sense? That that's the challenge. If we want to love well, we have to be present in the midst of the very experiences we habitually protect against, grasp after, run away from, resist. Okay, let's, we'll look close, more closely. Last week, um, we explored the acronym RAIN. How many of you were not here last week? Just let me see by hands. Okay. Don't worry, you'll still get it, <laughs> you know? There's always this thing, am I going to get it? Uh, so RAIN. RAIN is, the letters RAIN, recognize, allow, investigate, and then not identified, not personal. The first three letters, recognize, allow, and then investigate is a deepening of recognizing and allowing. It's really going intimately deep. Reveals the last letter which is sometimes not identified. It means we're no longer caught in that small separate selfness. Not identified. It means that we're able to live from our naturalness, our wholeness. So the pathway to that wholeness is this presence, this recognizing and allowing. It's another way of saying listening to the song, that we really are here listening without trying to manipulate, without trying to defend. So let's, we'll kind of look at how it happens. How do we bring that presence to when all the shadow flies up, okay? And in many relationships, and it can be partner or intimate in terms of married or lover or whatever, it could be parent-child, it could be friends, whatever, there is often one person who's in the position of wanting more closeness, more expressions of closeness, more reassurances about closeness, the pursuer, and then one person who's saying, wait, 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 defend, don't expect from me, don't judge me so much, um, you know, wants uh, less closeness in that way, less expectations. So this is clashing needs, and that's like a very common clashing need of one person wanting more in a certain way and the other person saying, give me space. Is that all familiar? You can just nod your head if it is. Okay. Okay. So um, I was talking with a friend, um, I was writing an article on relationships and one of the people I was interviewing also teaches workshops on relationships and she was um, describing her marriage and they've been, they teach together on, on how to really wake up love in a wise way. And she was describing their own trials and tribulations and the repeating patterns because we, all of us have repeating patterns. We have unmet needs and we keep on playing out of them in the same way over and over again. So she was describing uh, her husband and herself, and in that she's the pursuer, he's the avoider in some classic way. And they're both seasoned meditators, so she was describing how they bring rain, this process of presencing to their particular patterns. And for her, um, she very regularly found herself angry, in a kind of blaming mode, and it was the basic um, theme was he's not showing up. Once again, on some level he has a reason, but he's not here, close in, connecting. And 
when she does rain, the first step of rain, recognizing, allowing, is to notice, oh, okay, this one. So you pause, you go, oh, it's like this. Okay, the, the feeling like somebody's not showing up, the anger, the blame. It's like you put a frame around the picture and go, okay, this one. And if you pause, that gives some space to not play out the same old pattern. So she would do that and then spend some time with the experience. And if she stayed, and this is about learning to stay, if she stayed and felt underneath the anger and blame, always hurt feelings of rejection. Always. If she could let herself stay, she said, it was so much easier to be angry and blaming. You know, so much easier. But if she had, but she's very committed to waking up. She stayed, she'd find the hurt and the rejection. And then if she stayed with that, she'd kind of investigate. So it's rain, recognize, allow, investigate. What am I believing? And the belief was that if he acts like this, it means he doesn't love me. That's the belief. That's the interpretation thing. Just like the story I told you before about her diary, interpretation. And then um, that would put her into a really deep sense of fear and I'm going to be abandoned. So this is what I sometimes call the mood of unlove. That underneath the blame and the anger is this deep and very familiar, she felt very young, mood of unlove. And when she could just say, oh, feeling unlove, then without saying, I shouldn't feel it, or it's true, or anything else, just clean, oh, the suffering of unlove, the mood of unlove, then some space and some compassion naturally revealed itself. This is rain, recognize and allow, okay, this routine's coming up, and then investigate, what am I believing? Where do I feel it? Staying in the body, feeling where you feel it. And then there's some compassion that opens up. And that's what I call and not identified. Rather than being identified as the pushed away small self, she had opened to a space of compassion. Now for him, his process of rain had a little bit of a different kind of theme to it. For him, he would find himself irritated and blaming her. And underneath that, a feeling of being judged and pressured. And he'd find a sense of, I'm not okay. Um, and then it went into shame. And the shame that out of her expectation and judgment, he had this belief, I'll never do it right. I can never possibly be good enough. It'll never work. I can't love well. Deep shame. And that would lead to a sense of despair. So his bottom was a kind of despair, a sense of isolation, kind of almost, I'm going to be annihilated. I can't, I can't participate. I don't have what it takes. So he'd feel that and he'd open to it and just notice it and notice it. And then sometimes challenge the belief, is it true? that I'm not good enough? Is it true that I'll never be able to be close with anyone, never show up? And he wouldn't get to, oh no, that's not true, what's true is such and such. What he found when he was honestly investigating is he didn't know. That the belief was not a true belief, he just didn't know. And in that not knowing, a whole mystery would open up. 
a whole sense of presence and mystery where his being was no longer organized around a I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough for her but this, just this mystery of presence, of space then they'd get together so in this what I'm describing to you is they each would do their own process of pausing and presencing with the shadow Okay, and then they would get together and they would tell each other the truth of what they were feeling and it's not like when they got into this open spacious presence that the hurt or the fear or the, the um, vulnerability was gone it's just that they could be present without blaming and living out their old pattern that was the difference when they could talk to each other there's a beautiful teaching that really the truth of our loving the, the, the power of our loving is completely related to the depths of the truth we can tell each other real love is absolutely intertwined with how deep the truths are that we can express so they would have the courage to just name it to each other so that in their togetherness they were that presence and the particulars of the fears and the hurts and the stories were like currents in their, in their space of presence and so this path of loving, this art of loving is really a path of being present, listening to the song inside us with its beauty and its shadow side and then listening to each other and it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable this is uh, Marge Piercy and this is a poem called To Have Without Holding Learning to love differently is hard love with the hands wide open love with the doors banging on their hinges the cupboard unlocked the wind roaring and whimpering in the rooms it hurts to love wide open it hurts to thwart the reflexes of grab, of clutch to love and let go over and over it hurts to thwart the reflexes of grab, of clutch to love and let go over and over So in this art of loving, the first step is to honestly recognize, oh, how am I pushing away? You know, is it blame? Is it judgment? Am I interpreting? Am I believing beliefs? Am I demanding? Am I expecting? Because these are all the armorings. These are all the ways we're trying to protect the self and it's by being present that we begin to disarm the armoring that we begin to disarm that covering that really stops us from being free it's like Rilke said I want to unfold let no place in me hold itself closed for where I am closed I am false I want to stay clear in your sight So let me name some of the particulars of what it really 
takes to have that presence that stays when we hit the kind of edge where it's so hard. And it, a cu- couple of tips. One is it really helps. We have to pause. If you don't create space, if you don't slow down and get quiet, you can't listen to the song. You can't listen and rediscover loving. So we have to create space. I'm going to talk about that a little more. But in the space, it helps to ask, what am I believing? If we're feeling suffering and distance from each other, we're believing something. We're usually believing something's wrong with me or something's wrong with you. If we can see that we're believing it, we're not so hijacked by the belief. So pause, notice what's happening. What am I believing? You might notice if you sense what you're believing, how it feels to believe that. Because when we're believing our beliefs, there's a contraction. There's a sense of a small, tight, defended self. In order to begin to really be present with where the tightness lives, there's a quality of embodiment of really being willing to feel in our bodies. I like the way Stephen Levine describes it this way. He says, the armoring of the heart is recognizable as a hardness in the belly. Just feel your body as you listen. Armoring of the heart is recognized as a hardness in the belly. The belly has become rigid with holding. It is a reflection in the body of the imprisonment of the mind. It is the perfect feedback device for our holding, this hardness of the belly. When there is holding, self-protection, fear, distrust, the belly armors. This hardness reminds us to soften, to let go into healing. Soften belly, softening the belly, opening the belly is direct access to the heart. I'm giving you a very particular uh, place to pay attention and we could be doing a whole evening on really how you, by softening the belly, you open through the vulnerability. But I just want to invite you to experiment with it, that as you feel that you're coming into presence with something difficult, see what happens when you soften the belly. It really makes a difference. The next step, so you pause, What am I believing? Feeling it in your body, softening the belly. These are all ways of arriving. Another powerful strategy is just to begin saying yes to what's here. And when I'm saying yes, you could just bow inwardly. Or you could say this too, this too. But in some way make a gesture to what's here that there's an allowing. Recognize and allow. Take a moment again, just sense for yourself as you let your attention go inward. And this is this will be the time this evening that we actually experiment where there where there might be some separation with someone. So you might take advantage of this if you've been drifting, if you've been off in another space, see how much you can arrive right here, right now. Let the past go.
completely start fresh right in this moment. You might take a few full breaths. And as I mentioned earlier, bringing to mind the relationship where there's, you want there to be more free loving, the sure heart's release, real openness, and yet there's some distance. So just let that relationship be here in your awareness. Sensing your part in the distance, the way you might be pushing away or judging or defending or preoccupying, just a gentle acknowledgement Okay, so here's some of the armoring. Forgive it as you notice it. Just forgive it. And see if you can sense under that, under the ways you might be judging or avoiding, what's the unmet need inside you? What's the vulnerability that you're protecting? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it the pain of sensing you're not good enough, that you can't? or the fear of suffocation, that you'll be eaten alive in some way, consume, lose your own being. What's the fear, the vulnerability that has you keeping a distance, that has you stuck in some behavior, maybe grasping, maybe wanting too much, wanting things in a certain way, you can sense the vulnerability in there, what's keeping you from really feeling intimate, just breathe with it right now. And if it helps you to put your hand on your heart as a kind of way of offering more presence to the vulnerability inside, please feel free. Let the touch be tender. Just breathe with and feel in your body if it's the mood of unlove, the fear, or the vulnerability of being hurt, just breathe with it, feel it. See if you can soften your belly and just say yes to whatever is going on right now. Even if you're feeling numb or cut off right now, 
are restless or confused, what happens when you say yes without judgment to whatever weather system, whatever state of mind is here? Nothing's excluded. The pathway back to loving is to love what's here, to offer presence to what's here. It's the only way home. I want to unfold. Let no place in me hold itself closed, for where I am closed I am false. I want to stay clear in your sight. Sense the awareness and the space and the tenderness that's holding what's going on right now, that's aware of what's going on inside you, the one who's listening to the song right now. waking up out of identifying as the self in the story and just knowing and realizing that this awareness is home, the one who's listening, the one who's compassionate. And you can bring the person that you're wanting to be closer to in mind right now. And again, just sense your intention, the sincerity of just wanting to disarm, wanting to disarm, so that you can realize the truth of connectedness, wanting to disarm. So the last part I'd like to mention, just a short piece before we close, is that we more and more in this culture are getting it and recognizing that in order to come home to who we are we need to pause and have some time to meditate. It's just more and more entering into the mix that we need that space um, to kind of step out of our conditioned busyness and really be here. In the exact same way, if we want to learn the art of loving others, we need to create the time to meditate in our relational field with each other. Which means we really need to listen to the song with each other. We listen within, like that couple I described, they listen within, and then they listen to each other. The whole practice 
starts with this willingness to pause. It starts with stopping, actually. We have to stop the trance, the busyness, the blaming, the judging, the preoccupation. There is no love, no visceral love without presence. I know for myself, I keep re-realizing over and over again that if I'm feeling disconnected, the way to reconnect, to feel love with others is to pause and quiet my mind because my mind creates a separation. And when my mind gets quieter, there's a kind of beingness that's available for loving. Quietness really is um, the source that it comes out of. I'd like to close with a, um, a poem uh, from Rumi that one of my dearest friends just handed to me last month. So you might just close your eyes and listen. Last night, I lost my grip on reality and welcomed insanity. Love saw me and said, I showed up. Wipe your tears and be silent. I said, oh love, I am frightened, but it's not you. Love said to me, there's nothing that is not me. Be silent. I will whisper secrets in your ear. Just nod yes and be silent. A soul moon appeared in the path of my heart. How precious this journey. I said, oh love, what kind of moon is this? Love said to me, this is not for you to question. Be silent. I said, oh love, what kind of face is this, angelic or human? Love said to me, this is beyond anything that you know. Be silent. I said, please reveal this to me. I am dying in anticipation. Love said to me, that is where I want you. Always on the edge. Be silent. You dwell in this hall of images and illusions. Leave this house now and be silent. I said, oh love, tell me this. Does the Lord know you are treating me this way? Love said to me, yes, he does. Just be totally, totally silent. Our closing reflection from this silence is, as we did at the beginning, the inquiry, well, what is love then? What is this love? And to just again allow yourself to bring to mind a loved one. 
from the silence, from the presence, let a loved one emerge in awareness and sense him or her right here, right here, right now. Sense his or her eyes looking into yours absolutely lovingly. See the one who's peering through those eyes. See the awareness and love that's beholding you. Sense the life that animates this being, the presence that's here, and sense your love. And feel that love in a visceral way so you can let go of any images or ideas or sense of other. The only inquiry, what is this love? What is it? And then let go into the mystery. into that open, empty, alive mystery. And just be that, be that. I said, O love, Tell me this, does the Lord know you are treating me this way? Love said to me, yes, he does. Just be totally, totally silent. May these hearts awaken to realize the love that's our essence. May we inhabit and live from this love. May it touch all that we meet. Namaste. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.